Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Liam Bowen. Liam is currently the head baseball coach at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. In this episode, we talk a lot about his transition from assistant coach to head coach. 2020 was his very was his first full year as head baseball coach. He started out actually coaching Division Three baseball and Division Two. Was a Division One assistant and now Division One head coach. So a lot of experience in college baseball. And we get into what he's trying to build at, at UMBC when it comes to just a culture, changing the mindset, teaching players how to compete. We also get into the recruiting aspect and what he's looking for, how he's using uh, the dead period to, to continue to recruit. Um, junior college players, high school players. We get into a little bit of everything. So, uh, very cool episode. Also, uh, Liam is a Baltimore Orioles fan, so I, I'm definitely already a, a fan of, of Liam's even before we started recording. And, uh, again, I think I think this is going to be an episode that's going to bring a lot of different people value. You are, maybe you're in the recruiting process right now, or maybe you're someone who just wants to get an inside look at what a Division One college baseball head coach thinks and, and does on a daily basis. So hope you enjoy this episode. If you haven't, please make sure to go subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Um, I would greatly appreciate it. I, I, I do go on iTunes all the time and see if people have you know ranked or rated us a five-star rating and if, if they've left a review too because that like I said it does mean a lot it helps the show continue to grow and again I just would greatly appreciate it if you find any value on this podcast so ladies and gentlemen here is Liam Bowen All right, we're now live with Liam Bowen. Liam, thanks for coming on the show today. No, thank you for having me, Patrick. I appreciate it, man. So, you know, we obviously we both have ties to the Maryland area. You know, uh, I work with, for the Orioles, and you know, you're in you're in that area too. So, um, you know, growing up, I said you, uh, right before we started recording, you said you grew up in that area too. Were you just were you a baseball junkie from the time you you were a kid? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I was definitely the kid in the little league game that was super locked in to the situation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself, but you know, I'd, I'd open the Washington post every day and read the box scores. And it was something, you know, like a lot of people that I did with my dad and, um, you know, I, I just feel really fortunate that, you know, now I'm, I'm coaching at UMBC and you know, the, the, the guy who was sort of teaching me the game back then, my dad can come to all of our home games where I grew up about, 35, 40 minutes away from the school. So uh, in my line of work, you don't always get to choose where, you know, you get to, um, you know, do your craft. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate that, you know, I, I don't think I could have chosen a better place. So did you know that you wanted to get into coaching at a pretty young age? Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I was, as a player, I was somebody who, who, who definitely loved it. Um, you know, definitely wanted to continue with it from a, from a skill level standpoint, I was okay. You know, I, I was, I was good enough to be important to the teams that I was on, but I, I certainly wasn't like athletically what you see in the pro game. I just, I was, I was off the pace there. And, 
you know, I, I think the writing was on the wall pretty early that I, you know, I had a, a little higher ceiling as a coach than I did as a player. Um, you know, I, I think, as I think we all do. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that was, um, I was the, I, I, I kind of joke with people like I was as a player, I was like the classic future coach, like, yeah. you know, decent skill level kind of knew what was going on, but, but not as athletic as the guys, frankly, not as athletic as the guys I get to coach now, which is pretty exciting. And you were a pitcher too, right? That's right. Yep. Left-handed pitcher. So, I mean, with all the information that's out there now, I mean, if you could go back to yourself, what would you have changed differently about maybe your training routine or just like pitches you threw or anything? Like, were there anything you would do different? Oh, oh my gosh, there's a ton. Like what I did as a player versus what we do with the players and the pitchers at UMBC is is like 180 degrees Because you played different. for the program too, right? I, I played with a lot of guys in the summers um, from UMBC when I came back uh, here, but I actually, I played at a small school in Minnesota, um, okay. uh, McAllister college, but the, 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 the it, you know, it's been, uh, gosh, I got out of, um, college in, in 2006. And it, it, as you know, everything is completely different. You know, I was running poles and, um, you know, not really training for velocity was something you were maybe born with, as opposed to could go out and get for yourself. And I, I definitely, I think the skill wise, it, you know, it hasn't changed a, a, as much as physically, you know, from a skill standpoint, you still have to locate your stuff. You have to be able to throw multiple pitches for strikes. You have to hold runners. Uh, but from a physical standpoint, I think it would be completely different. I mean, we were working hard back then. We just weren't working maybe in, in a way that was super applicable to getting on the mound uh, and having your best stuff. How, how has your time as a college coach evolved with like the amount of information and, and data and just your experience too evolving too like with all that information like how how have, is there anything that you've changed specifically and not necessarily even from a programming standpoint but just how you talk to guys or how you, how you coach your players sure i mean i think in my time the standards for you know what you need from um you know, maybe an information standpoint to convince a player of the direction you want to go developmentally or, or it's way higher. You know, it, it's, it's something where, you know, UMBC, we're the, we're the public honors university in our state. Like the guys I get to coach are bright guys and they're really passionate about what they do. So if I have a vision for where we're going to go with a certain pitcher, then I think it's, it's part of my job. It's really incumbent upon me to, to make sure that I'd I make a good argument. I say, Hey, look, you know, you have these, these skills. These are some strong points. These are some things that maybe make you a little bit different than the average guy. And we're going to leverage those, you know, we're going to utilize those. Um, it, it, you know, I don't think the guys that are, you know, that are going to work and compete the way that you need them to, if you're going to win championships, I don't think they're just going to jump when you say how high and that that's only gotten more pronounced when there's more information out there and the guys are more knowledgeable. I would say that. So most of the guys that you're at recruiting, nowadays you're i mean they're asking pretty detailed questions on how you guys go about player development at umbc yeah and 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 honestly that's a conversation that we encourage that we initiate in in a lot of instances because for a guy to be right for us he has to value development you know we're a mid-major we're gonna you know bust our tail recruiting the absolute best guys we can get we are by no means going to recruit a conference champion. We're going to develop a conference champion from recruiting the right guys. So if a guy is not curious about development, then I think that's, that's really a deal breaker, you know, for me, like I, I just, 
I think four years is a long time. And if you have a guy in the right mindset that has some, some qualities that you can work with, then, you know, you can cover a lot more ground than, than you might think. Um, you know, if you're just kind of looking at it through a recruiting lens of kind of, well, what is this guy in, in, kind of on the recruiting trail? I think there's a, there's a lot you can build on from there. Is it, is it tough? You mentioned like how good of a school academically it is. Is it tough to get some of the kids you want into school because it is a, um, a good school just that from an academic standpoint? Yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, you know, there are certainly players that are really good that, that are just not going to be fits for, you know, our campus and, and the, the level of rigor academically here. But at the same time, there's enough guys that can play that are really good students that value the education that want to be pushed in the classroom that you can find those guys. And those guys are a blast to coach when you get them, you know, if you're able to correctly identify them and, you know, you're, you're right in your evaluation, not just of like their, you know, skill or, or physical ability, but of how they're going to go about their business and do the day-to-day stuff at our place. Like those are the guys you want, you know, like, like I, I don't, um, I don't get disappointed in having to recruit like smart, motivated people. You know, I, I yeah. like coaching those guys. Yeah. Those are honestly like the kids. I mean, those are like the easiest to coach too, just because they, they already want it. They're already hungry. Yeah. I mean, the honest truth, Patrick is, you know, I've been, you know, I've been coaching for 15 years, man. And, and, and I've been humbled in that time. Um, you know, and one of the things that I've learned through both success and failure is like, I can't help it. You know, everybody like, like there, there's only a certain guy and a certain kind of mindset that I can really be an asset to. And that's a big part of it, you know, is the curiosity and the the pride in doing the day-to-day stuff. Um, you know, I, I just think, if you're having to circle back and help a guy with that, you know, now you're losing ground relative to the competition on the field. And, you know, you're only going to get so far with that kind of guy. So more than ever before, you know, now that I'm the head coach, we're just laser focused on finding, you know, that mindset wherever we can get it. Yeah. Speaking of, of you being the head coach, I know you took over in 2019 during the season. What, what was that trans? Is that right? right. Yeah. yeah was, what was, was that like? Yeah, it was like last 10 games or so. Um, I wouldn't wish being an acting head coach on anybody or, um, you know, I, I think that's not a great situation. Um, you know, we, we weren't as good as we had been the previous four or five years. Uh, so we had kind of a disappointing end of the season. There wasn't a ton of suspense for me personally. I know some guys in that situation there is, I was fortunate that uh, the athletic director at the time was really supportive of me and the administration's always been great to me at UMBC. I've always been, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about that. So, um, it, it was a, it was a situation where, you know, I think it, it was hard on the players and, you know, and, and, um, there was maybe more uncertainty on their part than there was on mine. And, and we wish we had finished better, but I knew there were better days ahead where we would have a, a real opportunity to, you know, chart a course and then, and then follow it over a longer period of time, which is obviously what you have to do. Did, did you notice any changes just within yourself as a coach when you became the head coach. And the reason why I ask is I've seen coaches before when they're an assistant coach. And then when they become a head coach, they kind of change who they, they are a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I know what you sometimes mean. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope in my case for better, obviously. Um, I, I think for me, I think it's, it's allowed me to be um, a lot calmer and a lot more at peace. Not that I, I was a, you know, a huge wild man, I think as an assistant coach, 
Um, they definitely come a lot wilder than me. Uh, I would say I'm, 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 I'm fairly even keel, but I, I just think as a head coach understanding, you know, what our plan is and, 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 and having, you know, full authority over that and then being able to follow it step-by-step step, like that gives me a lot of, um, confidence in, in, you know, that over the long haul, we're going to get where we need to go. And, and the other thing is just having assistants that are, you know, really dynamic and that I really trust, you know, we're, I'm really, really fortunate. I've got, uh, Ryan Terrell uh, and Matt Marsh as our full-time guys who do an awesome job. And then Ryan's dad is Terry Terrell is the winningest high school coach in our state as uh, our volunteer and brings a ton of wisdom to us. So um, getting, getting the right people around you. And then for me, just the, just the way that I am like having the, the opportunity to, to plan and um, you know, put together kind of some long range ideas that, you know, it, I think it makes it a little easier. How how have you gone about trying to change the the culture? Right when you took over in 2019, you guys were obviously struggling a little bit at that time. Like, how do you go about trying to change the players' mindsets in a sense of like uh, where like this is like a winning program, but you can't lie to them in the sense like, hey, they know what their record is. Sure, sure. Well, I think for me, it kind of goes back to like the arc of my time at UMBC. I mean, I got to UMBC for the 2012 season. And I think we had been bottom five or bottom 10 in the country in RPI for a number of years. And within three years, we we're most approved team in the country, most approved pitching staff in the country. And then we won a championship right after that. So, you know, I, I, it, it was in our program very recently, you know, even though we, we did struggle in, in 2019. Um, and, and I definitely know what it looks like, you know, being a part of it with those guys. I think for me, it was more about, learning the lessons of not being able to capitalize on that momentum and then relaying it to our team and just being really straight up with them and saying like, look, you know, the, the, the reason that we're not as successful right now as we were in the past is because it's not because of talent. We, we, the talent's probably more equal than you might imagine. It's because of our mindset and the way we're going about our business uh, and, and the investment that we have in each other. So I think, you know, making, making some of those, standards from a character standpoint mandatory like that's what i took from that experience and you know my job is just communicate that to our team and just have them understand that it's not something that we're going to have any wiggle room on you know because you know i just think it's that important so you really think you really think that that the biggest difference between when you guys won a championship a few years ago versus you know when you took over and you guys were struggling was just it's it was just mindset oh 100 really yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we play in a really even league. You know, I, I think there's, um, uh, you know, the, the, the line between having a winning season and a losing season is, is pretty thin, uh, you know, and, and I think it's a credit to the people that we compete against. I think they do a really good job. I just think, you know, you would, like you could point to parts of our team and say, ah, oh, you know, we're a little short in this area. We're a little short in that area. Well, you know, to me, the, a lot of that's development. And that's the day-to-day mindset that I'm talking about is uh, making sure that we're, you know, we're really locked in and invested. And we had a really special group from about 2014 to 2018. You know, we had a lot of really good guys come through the program and we had a lot of really good guys on the team in 2019. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. Some of those guys are still with us and are huge assets to our team and, um, and just great character guys. It's just in terms of a group dynamic, you know, we were a little bit off and, and we were punished for it and duly so. So you know, I, I just think that once again, four years is a long time and guys in the right mindset, you know, it, it shows up, 
on the field to a greater extent than people recognize. I think I think that approach to development's a big deal. When it comes to recruiting, especially now that you're the head coach and and you've been doing this a while now, so you you've, you've seen a lot of different high school players. Are you are you able to at this point like put guys in different buckets? Essentially, I remember when I had Danny Burrell on, who's at Georgia Tech now. He talked about you know when he he can when he goes to recruit players, he kind of puts them in buckets, and he, just because he's seen so many, so that's how he's able to project guys and and so forth. So, I mean, is that essentially what you do when you're out recruiting? Is being able to you guys start to you know have similar body types and then you see you you follow their own career and then you're able to see like okay now I know this guy's body type or this guy what he's like on the mound I can project what he's going to be like in a few years or is it still just an inexact science uh no I I mean I, I actually listened to that episode I thought it was really good and I definitely identify with that because you're always looking for ways to connect you know, the player that you're watching with maybe somebody that's in your library that you've seen before that that can give you some clues as to how, um, you know, the, the future might go for that guy and how that guy might project into your league. You know, I, I think one thing that's a benefit to me is going on 10 years in the same league, really knowing the level of play, you know, really deeply. I think you can look at a 16 year old guy and say, hey, look, in a couple of years, this guy's got a chance to be similar to, you know, these three guys that, that I saw play in our league, whether they're, you know, played at UMBC or, or someplace else. And I kind of know what the value of that is now, you know, to me, what that gets you, I don't want to, you know, people to think, Oh, uh, you know, I think I can tell the future cause I can't, but that'll give you a range, you know, or right, yeah. an idea where, Hey, look, if this guy stays healthy, he's probably going to be on the low end, maybe, a a 10th or 11th man, you know, offensively. And, and on the high end, he could be like a fringe all-conference all guy if he can control the strikes on, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, I think I think definitely you can shorten kind of the curve there. If, if you're looking at each guy like super individually and and kind of starting at ground zero, I, I think you're going to be out there for a long time. I yeah, there's so, really many, so many kids out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got to look for clues, man. And and I, I thought the way, uh, you know, Coach Burrell described it, I thought I thought that was a, a good way of putting it. So in the MLB draft, for example, some teams, uh, I guess it just depends. I just remember growing up watching it um, on TV and you'd always hear, this this organization wants to take just the best player. It's not about our particular position that they want. Is it for you guys when you're recruiting, are you specifically looking for the best, like a certain position, or are you just looking for like the best player and just bring him in and we'll just figure it out and we'll make it, we'll make it happen when he gets there? No, I mean, you know, we're, we're only one affiliate if you want to think about it that way. You know, we don't have a bunch of different affiliates where we can stash guys and play them at different positions. Um, and, you know, we, we don't have – the luxury of maybe bumping a guy down a level or two and letting him struggle. You know, the, we're the, um, you know, we're, we're in a position where, where all the games, you know, really count. None of them can be developmental. So I think the way we do it anyway is, you know, if we have a third, uh, like a corner infielder leave, we would probably be looking for a corner infielder, somebody who could at least give us depth at that spot. Um, so your team never gets unbalanced because if you end up with an unbalanced team, you might have a lot of talent, but you're going to be less than the sum of your parts. And I, you know, I think that's obviously, you know, not what we're looking for. But if you have a, a middle or a corner infielder, sorry, leave, I, I mean, would you be out re like recruiting specifically for just like looking at third a corner guy, or would you be looking for like, Hey, like middle infield guy too, and we can transition him over. Probably the latter. 
is usually how it ends up just because in, in, in kind of the, the specific example you cite, there's just so few guys, particularly if we're talking about high school recruits, there's so few guys who are playing third base in high school that can athletically play third base at our level. You're usually looking for, you know, like a middle of the field athlete that you think has some of the traits where, you know, maybe in this case it's, you know, arm strength and, and you know, ball flight across the infield and the, you know, the hands you need, the ability to be explosive coming in on the bunt play. You know, some of those things that are going to lead you to think, Hey, this guy can make the transition to third base. So there's, there's a lot of projecting across the positions, but um, yeah, we would, you know, we would be looking for somebody who could at least address that need, you know, whether or not he's specifically playing in that position like that day or not. So, Liam, you do realize now that every parent and kid who listens to this and is playing third base currently is going to immediately ask their coach to move to the middle infield. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, you know, I, I try and be transparent. What, what I would say is, um, you know, it's not that we've never recruited a, a third baseman before we have and, and other people have, too. I, I do think, you know, if, if there's if there's parents and players out there listening, I think that the message they should take from that is the standard for like explosiveness and covering ground defensively at our levels really high. And it's higher than I think the like the average player and family understands, you know, like I, I think, um, you know, if a guy can't defend his spot, then, then, then he's obviously he's, he's a DH at best. And, you know, we really don't recruit those guys, you know, that like, that's a, that's kind of a spot where you, you stash a hitter that has some other things to offer. So um, anytime I get a chance to speak to like a group of, of young players, position guys, you know, they ask me, well, what do I need to do to, um, you know, transit transition or become a division one player or what have you. And I just always say, defend your spot, you know, find a way to be an above average defender at a position in the league that you want to play in, you know, that's step one. So do you, do you value defense over hitting in the set in a sense? I think, you know, it, it, it's not about like valuing one or the other. Like, like to me, I think you obviously you need to be good at both, you know, like, like it, it needs to be something that you're, um, you need to be able to prevent runs. You need to be able to score runs. You know, it's, it's that, that part's pretty simple. I think it's, it's all about what do you use as an eliminator? Like, Hey, look, we're just not going to look at a certain type of guy because he, we don't think he's a fit for kind of what we're trying to build. And for me, you know, this is just my personal philosophy. I think defense most of the time, unless you're really you know looking for a run producer and you can be flexible with his defensive impact, the vast majority of the time defense is an eliminator just because, it's my belief. Once again, that's, what's great about our sport. People can have different ideas, just studying championship teams, teams that win their conference. They, they usually do not run out guys who are stretched at their position. You know, a guy who's a third baseman, but really should be playing first. A guy in center, but really should be playing left. Like, like there's not a lot of those guys out there for championship teams. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And that's why I asked, because like you said, everyone has a little bit of a different philosophy when it comes to recruiting. Sure. Sure. No, I, I mean, and, and, you know, that's why the sports lasted and remained popular, you know, all this time is there's, there's more than one way to do it, you know? And I think that's particularly true at our level. I think in the pro game, and you would probably speak to this better than me, but in the pro game, you know, they're finding ways to almost streamline it. And, and there's, there's certain types of players that, that are really preferred in our game. There's a real variety of types of teams that are successful. There's teams that will, they're sack bunchy to death and be really effective at it. You know, there's teams that will, um, that'll never bunt and, you know, just we'll, we'll, we'll send nine guys up to the plate that are looking to, to beat the outfield um, and everybody in between. So 
Um, I would say we're, we try and be pretty balanced, but we're definitely going to run a championship defense out there. You know, that, that, that's one of our first objectives when it comes to recruiting. How, how are you able to continue to recruit uh, during the dead period? Well, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, that's number one. Uh, and, and it, it kind of went in, in two, you know, along two tracks. There was a, there was a couple guys that we wanted to add, particularly to our pitching staff at the end um, of the, the 2020 spring, you know, we were planning to go see some junior college guys, uh, and, and obviously didn't get a chance to do that. We were able to add them anyway, mostly through video. Um, you know, just the, the whole video piece has really taken off as you, as I'm sure, you know, in the past for, for pitchers or position players too. for pitchers. Um, we, we needed pitching. So we were fortunate there because for position players, it can be more difficult, particularly getting a read on defense, like we're talking about, but, um, you know, we were the, the one that stands out to me is we recruited a junior college pitcher from California who's we were fortunate his um, his school had synergy, uh, the video service where we can get clips of, um, you know, each individual pitch he threw in a given year. So I, I literally, you know, sat in well, not even in my office. I sat in my house because we weren't going into the office and watched every pitch the guy threw in about 40 innings in his Juco league. And I was impressed with him and we were able to to convince him to to come across the country and he had a great fall for us you know and I think he's going to help us so it's it's a different recruiting story than um than in the past for me but I, I think it goes to show you you know if, if you're a player like it, it always helps to perform you know he, he was a real high performer at that level not the hardest thrower but a, a real high performer and um it got him an opportunity at our place what about the live streams from I guess more specifically like high school players. So you said that kid was a junior college player, probably going to have a bit more like data. You said they had synergy out there, but from a high school recruiting standpoint, like were you able to do anything? I guess even going forward, I mean, who knows? You may not be able to recruit next summer either. I don't know. But I mean, like what, like were you doing any of those live streams? I know PBR had some stuff that were doing live streams. And I heard of kids getting, having, you know, going off one weekend and getting like 10 offers. Right. So we, we definitely watched them and we've, we've built up some, some history with players because of them. And, and we're, we're appreciative of it. Like a lot of those companies really pivoted and did a good job with it. We're probably more conservative, you know, when it comes to, you know, offering particularly a position guy um, based on video. Like I, you know, I just, I, I really believe that, you know, you're, you're, you're better off being right than being early. Like just, I don't really feel any great urgency to get a recruiting class done, so to speak. Like I think they're the nature of our sport is there's, there's always good players. There's always late bloomers. There's always guys sometimes, you know, who have kind of have a chip on their shoulder because they've been overlooked and they're a little bit hungry. And, you know, if, if it was a guy that we felt like we, you know, we had enough of an evaluation on and enough history with and enough of a read on his character, we would offer him, but you know, it wasn't anything where, we, we didn't look at each other and say, Hey, look, well, if this is all we have, we got to make all, all of our offers, you know, because of that, you know, we're happy to, you know, wait it out until spring and summer and, you know, fingers crossed, you know, things trend in a good direction. We're out there. I'm actually thinking right now, it actually may actually be your guys' advantage that all this virus happened as a mid major school, because the bigger schools are out having to offer those kids, you know, left and right without really knowing who's who. And then you guys can kind of sit back and wait a little bit and then be able to actually go out and recruit in person 
the kids who haven't already committed yet. And there may be some, I mean, not, not maybe, there's going to be some really, really, really good players still out there. So it, in a sense, I kind of like, I, I like that how you're playing your cards in a sense of, of being patient because you don't really, really know how good of a player is going to be until, the, I, in my own opinion, until they're really junior year, senior year, even sometimes, you know, like you said, a late bloomer. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I feel like uh, that gives you guys a huge a kind of an advantage in a sense. You don't have to feel that you don't have pressure to make these offers to these eighth graders or ninth graders and you can wait it out a little bit. For sure. And, and uh, what you're saying reminds me of a conversation that I had, not this past summer, obviously, but the summer before was with a guy who's been a, um, I won't say his name, but a guy who's been a power five recruiting coordinator for a long time. Really, really good coach. Um, won a national championship and, um, I was talking to him, guy, a guy I've known for a while, see a lot of events, and he was talking about what you're saying, you know, where he he felt like the dynamics of uh, baseball in his conference for, was forcing them to offer guys earlier than he was comfortable with. And I told him, you know, we don't have to do that. And, and what, I'm, what I've been telling our assistants, or I don't believe we have to do that anyway, and what I've been telling our assistants is that time in between, you know, where maybe a power five school is, is offering guys and, and then where we would be, we're using that time to make sure that we're right, to, to, to really get to know the guy's character, to really understand better, you know, what we're really getting when we're bringing that player into the program. Because I can deal with, you know, if, if a guy's a little bit off the pace in a particular skill fall of his freshman year, well, we got time, you know, and, and, and we have – you know, great assistants who are really good at developing guys and like, we'll find a way to make that guy better. What we can't be as surprised by character like that. That's a, that's a huge loss uh, for us. And, and it's a, it's a really hard one to fix. So, um, it, we, you know, he and I, this, this coach I mentioned, you know, we got talking about that for a while and I, you know, he was, he was telling me, it's like, you know, that's, that's a, that's a better situation in a lot of ways. Cause you know, we, we all want to be coaching guys that we're excited about and that we believe in and not just as players. So that's how well, and what you said it. at the beginning of this podcast with the, the difference between your team now and, you know, when you were a championship team was just simply mentality. So if you're bringing in guys with a bad mentality or bad character, I mean, you're not getting back to that championship level team. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I think it's, it's kind of as simple as that. And um, you know, and one thing we're, we're fortunate with is, you know, through the, the pandemic and, you know, kind of all the stuff we were just talking about where, where we had to maybe pivot and recruit a little bit of a different way this fall, I think we, we made some gigantic gains to, you know, getting back to, you know, what really defines us as a program, which is, you know, our selflessness, how reliable we are for each other and just, just a gritty tough team. We're not a, a glamorous place to play like, and we don't try to be, we're not, I'm not, I honestly wouldn't be crazy excited to coach at a overly glamorous place. I don't think I'd be a great fit. So, um, you know, it, it's all about just, you know, really defining that and um, defining an identity for your team and finding the right guys for it. I, I truly believe that. And I've learned it the hard way, you know, I've learned, I've learned it through success and I've learned it through failure. So, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're in a position where I, I think we can, can make the failure a short one, you know, cause uh, the guys have done a really good job so far. You, you talked about it being a gritty place. And I remember when I was playing college baseball, you know, we'd have uh, like hell week when you would get back and, and all these things. And, and I, and I get from a, a strength and conditioning standpoint, like, well, that doesn't necessarily, you know, make you faster or anything, but 
I mean, there may be something to be said about it, how it gives you confidence when you do finish it. And, you know, that can help you as a player too. You become more confident in yourself because you finished, you know, hell week or whatever it is. Do you guys do anything like that? Or what, what are your, what are your takeaways on that? Maybe it's not, you can't do that as much nowadays, but I, I mean, I kind of actually thought it was looking back at not a bad idea. Yeah. I'm not as big on like a hell week or anything on that, on that end personally. And and I do think you're right. I think it every year it, it gets harder to do. Like I, yeah. I think some of those things, um, we're sort of of a certain time and place uh, that I remember like as a player, but I, you know, you're, you're not going to see them as much now. I think for us, when I say it's a gritty place, what I mean is, you know, and we impress upon this, you know, in recruiting with guys and their families is I tell them like baseball in school has to be enough, you know, like, like, cause every, every recruit you'll talk to, you know, you pick up the phone and say, Hey, well, what are you looking for, man? I say, well, I, I want to, play baseball for a good program and develop. And I want to get a great education. I said, okay, well, th- well, those things are possible here, but you know, you might not play at a $10 million stadium. You might not have the most gear. You, we're not on, we're not on the beach. Uh, you know, like we're um, there are things about our place where you're, you're just going to have to really be bought into those things being truly important. And the guys who, who really believe that, um, you know, that, that's enough grit for me. Like I don't wake them up at five in the morning to lift them on, you know, we want them to sleep. We want them to eat breakfast. And then when they're in the weight room or when they're on the field, we want them to be tough as nails. Um, and, and we're going to challenge them, but we're going to challenge them in a way that's competitive and, and to me more, more baseball specific, you know, we're going to put them in a lot of situations where they have to compete and there's, there's a winner and a loser. So that's how we do do it at our place anyway. And if it's and if to your point, if it's done right and the players are doing exactly that, there there's really not much actually extra time for going to the beach or any of that other stuff too. I mean, school and baseball. I remember fall ball. That's a lot of hours. Plus, you add school on top of that too, and all the studying. I mean, you don't you if you're doing it right, you really shouldn't have that much free time to go around doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I, look, our, our guys, you know, they enjoy each other and and you know the the social opportunities at college affords but it, you know it's a business trip like you, you don't get to do some of the things that that the kind of the typical student does it's a trade-off you know that's what that's what life's about right you know you 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 do one thing and you give up another and and you know we ask our guys like everybody else you know we ask them to be mature about that uh and and and, and we be and i think one of the things that helps that is we're really transparent about it you know we're, we're not a place you know in in the recruiting process like i'm not a guy who ever, you know, in, in my 10 years at UMBC, whoever, um, you know, tried to, to pump a guy's tires or to, or to sell something that, that we really aren't, you know, the, the recruiting pitch has kind of always been the same, which is, you know, if it's about baseball school and building something together and getting a ton of value out of these four years for the next 40, 50, 60 years of your life, then this is an awesome spot. You know, if you want to, um, you know, do a lot of extraneous things that, that, that don't serve those goals, then we're, we're probably not a great fit. And that's okay. You know, we only need 35. So we, we just want to make sure we get the right 35. Yeah. And do you guys uh, capitalize on, on using all 35 spots? And if some programs only want to have 30 or 32 and leave some room, like, do you, is it 35 usually every year? It's usually 35. I mean, you know, for me, the, the way we have kind of our, our, our model set out is, we recruit basically 32, 33 spots with for specific needs, you know, X number of catchers, X number of, you know, guys who can give you depth at shortstop pitching so forth. 
And we usually end up finding two or three guys that we just believe in, you know, guys who don't necessarily address a specific need, but um, you know, a guy really wins you over a camp with his mentality, a guy who's versatile, um, you know, the, the kind of walk on, you know, from a scholarship standpoint, guys who maybe aren't on scholarship money, but guys that we still recruit and want to develop, you know, we just kind of feel like they have something to offer us. So if you're out seeing enough players, like you're going to run into those guys that you like. And a lot of times those guys are great stories. You know, they end up being impactful players and, and culturally really impactful too. Um, you know, I've definitely seen that in my time. So I know you said you like being able to see position players, you know, in action and in person. And obviously you, you can't be everywhere all over the country just because you've got stuff to do and it's not basketball or football. We can just charter a jet and go see a recruit somewhere. So, I mean, are you mainly recruiting right around the Maryland area when it comes to position players? For position guys, I would say we, you know, we, we focus and when we're talking about high school guys, yeah. junior college guys are different, but uh, when we're talking about high school guys, you know, we're pretty focused on the Baltimore Metro area, DC, Philadelphia, and then a little bit of Pittsburgh and New York. Um, I think there's a lot of good players in those areas. I think, from a high school standpoint, we can usually find what we're looking for. Occasionally we'll go outside of that. Um, there's usually a story there. Maybe it's a, a coach that we know in a different area that we really trust or um, you know, some, some type of situation that's unique, you know, but, but uh, for, for example, we have a, a fifth year senior from Miami who's been a good player for us. I don't pretend to know every division one player in the Miami area, you know, whereas in the Baltimore area, you know, I think our staff does know, you know, has a good working knowledge of every guy who's got a chance to be a D one player in our area. That's kind of the difference is, you know, how deeply you can go. So um, yeah, we're, we're pretty concentrated on those areas. And if we can't find them in those areas, a lot of times that's when you end up junior college or transfers. What about if someone reaches out and expresses interest on wanting to come to UMBC and, and wants to come to a camp, like would that change anything or, like sure. you guys would make it make an, an extra effort to go see them at a PBR event or something like that. So what we would probably do under normal circumstances, yeah, right. you know, obviously COVID's a little bit different, but um, under normal circumstances, if a guy from, you know, kind of pick your, your far away state, um, maybe a guy from the Midwest someplace says, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in UMBC. We would say, look, if you can, we'd love for you to make it to this camp. And if the guy impresses us at camp, that's where we would start to um, dig into as much video as we could of him. And, and most importantly, really dig into his track record and his background. And I think that's like really missed a lot on how important that stuff is with, with players and families is we're not going to offer scholarship money that any high school player is not a dominant high school player. It's not something we're going to do. You know, I think, you know, I, I just, I firmly believe that, the guys who are going to be championship players for us, winning players for us, they're, they're that kind of player at the high school level. You know, they're, they're somebody that's deciding games, you know, um, in a positive way for their team. Um, it's not that everybody we've ever recruited is a dominant high school baseball player, but if they're not, it's usually a developmental guy that's, that's not going to be on scholarship. And then the background piece, I've already really talked about it. The, the character piece is so important. So if a guy lights us up at camp and he checks those boxes, and maybe there's a way to see more of them on video or go see them. Then, yeah, you know, he could. He could I think that's a, a great piece of advice for, for people out there listening is, you know, even with all these showcases and, and, you know, great stuff and great to get your name out there, but 
at the end of the day, like, the most important thing is dominating during the game and like dominating for your for your season and for your team, high school team, summer ball team. And if you're not doing that, it's not going to not always, but a lot of times just not just suddenly happen once you get to college. And it's just like five o'clock hitters. I think I assume that's what you're referring to. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing that um, separates guys at our level is there's a lot of guys with physical ability in Division One baseball, obviously. The thing that separates them is their ability to apply it to a competitive situation. And I don't think people go from being unable to do that, you know, at a lower level to being excellent at it at a higher level. I think that's, you know, I'm sure there are examples, but it, I think it's unlikely, frankly. So, um, you know, I think when you're trying to get a read on a guy's competitive spirit, I think when you're trying to get a read on a guy's poise and confidence and all the things that make people, um, you know, play up to their ability level when the game starts, then the easiest thing is track record. You know, a guy, it, you know, you, you think, uh, you know, I coach the pitchers and, um, you know, have final say on, on all of our, the guys that we commit as pitchers, like they have to be throwing strikes. You know, they have to be the, the guy who gets the ball, you know, when, when the team needs outs. Um, if there are a guy who's better in a bullpen setting than in a game setting, then that's that's not that's a guy who, for me, would need to maybe go to junior college or, or try and learn those skills at another place rather than at a place with 35 spots and and a place that needs to get value out of each one. What's your philosophy on the uh, uh, the structure of the scholarships and other I mean, position players getting you know, a range of percentages. And again, I know, again, this, everyone does it differently. Some schools will give a kid if they want a really, really good player, a hundred percent athletic and some other may chop it up, you know, somewhere else. Like how, where do you, where do you fall on that? Oh, well, we chop it up pretty good. And, and, and I think, you know, for us, it's about kind of just sticking to our plan, sticking to our model. I mean, we have different budgets for different positions um, I don't think it's a secret, you know, if a guy is a, a left-handed pitcher versus a corner outfielder, you know, that's going to merit more scholarship money just because it's, you know, it's a scarcer resource, you know, like anything else like the, um, you know, trying to find those guys, but it, we're probably more, um, I guess, balanced uh, than, a, than a lot of places. Um, and, and, you know, we, we work with the, like the, you know, the constraints that we have, like, I, I wish we were like some of the other sports. And if we wanted a guy, we could say, Hey, we're, we're just going to pay for everything. Here you go. Um, that's not the case. And, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of my job and the rest of the coach's job at our place and all the other places is resource management. You know, you have to spend what you have wisely. And I think that, you know, it's not crazy different from the, the budget for your family or your household. You know, you have a plan for what you're going to spend on all your needs. And if you stick to it, you usually end up you know, not wasting too much money. So that's what we try and do. <laughs> you know, try and keep it pretty simple. From a, from strictly a player development standpoint, I mean, what, what do you guys do? Like once, once guys say, okay, I, I'm signed, I'm on campus. Like what's the, what's the plan now? Well, I, I mean, obviously, you know, pitchers and position players is different, but like to me that that's where we, we really make a difference as coaches, you know, and, and, and that's what, Everybody on our staff, from me on down, that's what we're all passionate about. That's why we're all in the business. Uh, so, you know, there's there, and, and we have it all written down in a in a. It's really almost like a book that we call the Retriever Way, and and it, it, it kind of talks about what we want out of each phase of the game. Um, but if I could say it like the most broadly, without going on too long, I would say it's it's about you know really getting to know each player individually and creating a vision for like how they're going to make the biggest impact on our team. So, 
you know, obviously you got to learn each guy. So, you know, we just went through fall practice and if it's a guy who's new to our program, there's a, an aspect of letting the guy play and kind of figuring out where his skill set is going to fit in with us, what skills are translating, where he needs to improve and so forth. And then we just sit down with them at the end of the fall and say, Hey, look, you know, if you want to, you know, the, the role we think you can have on our team, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And for, a, you know, for the um, position guys, it usually, it's usually getting to second base and defending their position and managing the strike zone. And for the uh, pitchers, it's usually landing at least two pitches in the zone, holding runners and defending their spot. So it's, it, it usually kind of goes along those lines, but it's different for each guy. And I also would assume because of the NCA limiting amount of hours you get to practice, I mean, you have to be, you have to give the guys honestly like some like autonomy or freedom to like, and say like, Hey, if you want more work, you got to go in and do it on your own. Or you got to go somewhere else and do it on your own. Oh, for sure. And, and I think a, a, another big part of our job as coaches is putting together an environment and a schedule where the guys are hungry to go to the field and work together. I think if, you know, like we don't take on-field BP in a typical way in the fall. Like I, I, I don't think, you know, that a coach throwing BP, you know, with a bunch of guys fielding and a bunch of guys standing around the cage, I don't think that's an efficient use of time. It's my belief. So what do you we'll, guys do? We'll do it with a machine. Um, we'll have different stations set up. So more guys are swinging at a particular time. Um, we, we don't, we'll do, we'll do like a lot of machine pitch scrimmages and a lot of, we'll do like a live BP setup where guys are, are running out of the box and there's a lot of cut relay situations built in. It, it won't just be, Hey, you're going to take your eight hacks and then hand the bat to the next guy. Um, so, you know, I, I think when you're doing it that way and it's fast paced and you're efficient with your time practice ends and the guys are still excited about being at the field. You know, it's, it hasn't been something that's just kind of sucked the life out of them. And we talk about that all the time in coaches meetings and say, Hey, like, how can we stoke these guys? You know, I know coach Terrell, our, our um, hitting coach and recruiting coordinator does a great job thinking, you know, he wakes up in the morning and thinks, well, how can I get my guys excited to work on their craft? Uh, and I think, I think that's the engine when it comes to player development is, is how pumped up your group is to just get, go out there and play baseball together. So we, we pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah, I 100% agree with it. I think if, if guys aren't focused or locked in, I mean, it's it's hard to, like you said, get excited or really get better too because you're not really focusing on whatever the task is at hand. It's tough to con continually get better. So are you – is practice not, a, not as many hours? I mean, shoot, I remember sometimes – I've even talked to some coaches – it's like three, four, four and a half hour long practice in the fall. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, we do now. We're out there for a long time. You know, typically as coaches, we get to the field, you know, twelve thirty, one o'clock, and then we'll be packing it up. You know, maybe five thirty, six o'clock because of the early and extra work. But what we what we end up doing is we budget a lot of time where we're working in smaller groups. Um, you know, maybe a couple of days a week, the catchers will be with Coach Marsh, who coaches our catchers, or what I typically do with the pitchers, if it's a bullpen day or a day where they're going to be working a lot on execution, um, you know, I'll bring them out early and, and, you know, maybe just work with four of them rather than having to work with the whole group together. Um, and so we, we use a lot of our time with each player that way, but the, the time that the whole group is together, you know, that might be like two forty-five to five, something like that, even in the fall and in the spring, you can, you can shorten it up from there. And what we try and do is, you know, we try and minimize the amount of hours the whole group is together. Um, 
and we try and maximize our time working with them in smaller groups or individually and, and putting them in the weight room. I think it's where you get the most return. Once again, it's like a resource management thing. Like each guy has a certain number of hours. So if you're, if you're, if you're using those hours to have him, you know, maybe shag balls in BP, like that's not, that's not a great return for that resource is the way I think of it. I like that. What about uh game day, like BP game day? Is it still machine? Yeah. If we're home. Yeah. We'll okay. shoot it out of the machine. We got the guys bought in coach Terrell's done a great job. And it, it, it was one of those, you know, when I became the head coach, we said, Hey, look, like this is what we're going to do. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge believer and you could probably speak to this better than me since I'm a pitching guy. But um, even if, you know, I, I've actually been gunned in BP and I throw like everybody else, I throw like 60 miles an hour in BP. So even if I'm short and, and that's the, actually pretty hard by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, now I can't throw 61. If I throw 61, I think my UCL will explode, but I can, <laughs> I, I can go with like a smooth 60. So the, um, even if I'm short, you know, if I'm at like a little league distance and, and the time works, the ball's in the air, like a representative time compared to a division one pitch to me, the hitter's eyes are not being trained to pick up visual information in, in the way that they they're being forced to in a game, just because the ball's in the air for 45 hundredths of a second, like a 90 mile an hour pitch, it doesn't mean it's the same thing as tracking 90 out of a guy's hand at 60 feet, six inches. So for me, you know, I always tell our guys that the field of play is the hitter's field of vision, you know, like, like that's, that's where, where the game is really contested. So we're trying to train the guy's vision to be as, um, as, you know, comfortable as possible with balls traveling at speed. So I just don't think, I don't think I can represent that, you know, it's, even even if my BP is firm for BP, it's not helping us. You know, it's it's just it's not getting us where we need to be. I like that a lot. I like that. Uh, going back, actually, another another thing I wanted to ask you about, since you're a college coach, and this is going a little bit back to the recruiting again, but because of the the COVID and coronavirus and transfers and expanded rosters, like I don't, I'm trying, I try to follow some stuff on Twitter, Kendall Rogers and some other guys who post, you know, what's going on. Like, what are the rules right now when it comes to that? Like, should kids who are seniors or even juniors be looking at a JUCO instead of D1 because of these rosters and immediate eligibility? Well, well, I'm personally a guy who thinks everybody should consider really all levels and in particular junior college, you know, the guys who go to junior college with the kind of the business trip mindset that I was speaking about earlier, I've seen it work out really well for those guys. And there's a ton of junior college coaches. I know that I do a great job that really invest in development that really care about their guys. I think if you're a player and you get an opportunity to go play college baseball anywhere, um, I think you need to consider it strongly. You know, I, I think there are great programs at every level. Like I'm not, I've coached at each level in, in the NCAA. I coached, a D, I was a D3 player, coaching D3, D, coaching D2, and now, you know, D1 head coach. And it's really about the people that you're around, you know, when you get right down to it. So um, if, if you, if you get an opportunity from people that you believe in, that needs to be considered. And I think in the current climate where, yeah, ro- rosters are thicker, you know, like we're bringing seniors back, um, trying to make up for the time that those guys lost, you know, there's, I don't think there's ever been a time where, you know, jerseys at a division one school have been, you know, more scarce or, or harder to get. Um, if you're a guy who you feel like is going to need development to, you know, make it, make an impact at our level, then yeah, I would definitely consider junior college. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, 
I, I think it's, it's stigmatized in some ways and it, it absolutely should not be, you know, it, it's a, it's a really viable option for the right guy. But since everyone got an extra year of eligibility, wouldn't that back, there's like a log jam now for the next year or two. There, there's definitely a little bit of a log jam in that, um, you know, like of our current junior class uh, um, or excuse me, uh, of last year's junior class, our current senior class, we already have a number of those guys committed to come back and be on our team for 2022 and either finish a degree, get a master's, you know, whatever their, their academic path is. So each of those guys, the way we do it, and not everybody does it this way, but the way we do it, each of those guys took up a spot that would have gone to potentially a high school or a, you know, a transfer or a junior college guy. Um, so that, you know, raised our level, you know, we went from needing, um, I, I don't remember the specific numbers, but let's say maybe, nine new players in the class to needing five. Um, so obviously, you know, that that's going to shorten opportunities. And that's where I say the the junior college level, like if I were a player who was pretty good, but, but maybe not a slam dunk division one guy in the current environment, like, you know, you go there, there's, there's no upperclassmen that are, you know, holding down positions. There's more opportunity. It, it's like anything else you have to perform and it's going to be what you make of it. But I think that's, that's a really viable move. And, and I would, you know, I would run towards it rather than away from it. You know, if it was, if it was right for me is what I was, what I'm kind of trying to say. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, speaking of slam dunk, I was, this is a, this has been a great episode and very, very valuable information. I've been taking some notes down, you know, different things. And and like I said, it's just great stuff. So we appreciate it. I'm sure you're an Orioles fan. Uh, at least I hope you are. And um, again, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I, I am an Orioles fan. I grew okay. up an Orioles fan and I'm actually, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm in my house um, like everybody else uh, these days. Uh, and I'm, I'm like a mile from the stadium. So uh, definitely uh, love the birds and, and really enjoy your show, man. I just want to say that not just thanks for having me on, but um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I've been digging through the back catalog and, and it's been great to hear a lot of, you know, really quality co- coaches and baseball people, you know, share their wisdom on here and I've gotten a lot out of it. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.